I would invite you to open a Bible, if you have one, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a number of scriptures this morning as we talk about today the omnipotence of God. These words that uh, we don't often use in everyday living, but are uh, descriptive of our God, these characteristics. We've been in this series lifting up our, or lifting up our low, lifting higher our low view of God, that we might uh, see God higher and higher for who he is, uh, using the book, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer as a guide for us. And so we've been looking at these various attributes of God today, the omnipotence of God, which means all-powerful. Omni means all-potent power. So the all-power of God, the all-powerfulness of God, the almighty uh, is another way that the Lord refers to himself in the scriptures. He is the almighty God. Um, there is no one who compares to him. There's no power uh, that is able to rival him. He is the omnipotent, all-powerful God. So the story is told of a young boy who was traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents. And on the plane, he sat beside a man who happened to be a seminary professor. And uh, this was a number of years ago, and uh, the boy had in his hand, his parents had given to him to keep him occupied, uh, the Sunday school take-home paper, and he was reading that. And so the professor saw him reading the Sunday school take-home paper, so he decided to have a little bit of fun with the young boy. And so he asked, young man, if you can tell me something God can do, I'll give you a big, shiny apple. The boy thought for a moment and he turned to the man and he replied, Mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. That little boy was on to something. There is nothing that our God cannot do. There is nothing that our God lacks power to do. He is the all-powerful one. Tozer says it this way in the knowledge of the holy. He says, God possesses what no creature can, an incomprehensible plenitude of power, a potency that is absolute. This we know by divine revelation, so by the scriptures, but once known, it is recognized as being in full accord with reason, so the scriptures help us understand it, and then reason kind of makes it, uh, all, uh, confirms it. Grant that God is infinite and self-existent, two attributes that we've looked at already in this series, in his uh, infinitude and his self-existence, and we see at once that he must be all-powerful as well, and reason kneels to worship before the divine omnipotence. Power belongeth unto God, says the psalmist, and Paul the apostle declares that nature itself gives evidence of the eternal power of the Godhead. Romans 1.20 we'll look at in a moment. From this knowledge, we reason to the omnipotence of God this way. God has power. Since God is also infinite, whatever he has must be without limit. Therefore, God has limitless power. He is omnipotent. We see further that God, the self-existent creator, is the source of all the power there is. And since a source must be at least equal to anything that emanates from it, God is of necessity equal to all the power there is. And this is to say again, that he is omnipotent. All of the attributes of God work together. His infinitude, his self-existence, prove and show as we understand from scripture that he is the almighty, that he is the omnipotent God, that there is a God and that he is the God who, who has limited, infinite power 
and self-existent, all power comes from him, which means that there is no power that is greater than him. And so scripture helps us to understand, and reason says that this is true, but here's the catch sometimes. Our experiences may want us to say that this is not so. Scripture says he is all-powerful. Reason then comes from it and says, yes, it is so. But sometimes our experiences, and we look at the world around us, and we say, is it true? Is it true that God is truly all-powerful? And this is where we must hold on to the truth of Scripture. We must believe that God is omnipotent, that God is all-powerful, that there is nothing that he lacks in power to do, A high view of God and a high view of his power leads us to greater worship, leads us to greater belief, even when experiences in the world around us may say, ah, and leads us to greater expectation that his power will be released in ways that change circumstances. So this morning, we want to look at what the scriptures say, that it might lift our view of God and his power and might lift our faith, and our expectation for his power to be released afresh. So there are sermon notes in your bulletins. You can fill in uh, what is on the screen if you're a note taker. We want to look at what the scripture says in order to build our faith in the omnipotence of God. And so we begin here. The scriptures say that God's power brought forth creation. This is what Tozer referenced in Romans 1.20. And so if you're there, um, Romans 1.20 says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature haven't been, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Paul is building an argument in his discussion of God's wrath being poured out against humanity because of sin. And he says that no one, if you read through all of Romans 1, no one is without excuse because God's power and God's divine nature have been revealed to every single person through creation. That through creation we see that there is an all powerful God. And so there's no one who can stand before God and say, I didn't understand anything about a God who was greater, about a God who was all-powerful, about a God who is righteous and holy and is against sin, and that I fall short of that perfection because I see your power, I see your divine nature. Even if I don't know everything about you, I know that there is a God because I see your divine nature and your divine power in all of creation. His power is seen in creation because he is the creator. If you read Genesis chapter 1, God's power is on full display as it, with his simple word, let there be light. With his simple word and creating the sky and separating it, the sky from the, he- the, the heavens and the earth, of creating dry ground, of creating plants and animals, of creating human beings just by saying let there his power in creation. Psalm 33, verse 6, says it this way, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. From his word comes creation. From his breath come the starry host. God's power is unlimited, and it is seen in his ability to create with a simple word. Imagine someone so powerful that their word puts all of this into motion, and the breath speaks the starry host into its place. Back in 2016, the Hubble telescope sent back deep field images from space that suggested that there are two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. So just think about that. We are in the Milky Way galaxy, 
And the Hubble Space Telescope is suggesting that there are two trillion other galaxies in the observable universe. One um, professor of astrophysics by the name of Christopher Consolis, who is a professor of astrophysics at the University of Nottingham in the United Kingdom, says this, that uh, in those two trillion observable galaxies, there are at least 100 million stars in each of those galaxies. So I, I had to get some help on this. And if the math is right, that is two with 20 zeros after it. Two trillion times 100 million, if the math is right. Don't, you can check me on it and I will not be offended if you say that's wrong. Because it's way too big of a number for me. I don't even know what that number even begins to be. But think about that. Let there and all of the universe is put into and the breath not even the word, the breath of his mouth, and there's two with 20 zeros after it stars. And that's just in the observable universe. Talk about power. God's power is seen as he brought forth creation. The scriptures help us to see. That is creative power. The scriptures say also, that God not only has brought forth creation, but that God sustains creation. If you're in Romans, uh, you're going to go towards the back a little bit. You'll come to First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul is talking about the supremacy of Jesus, and so he's speaking of Christ here when he says he, so Christ, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. So in this let there be light, in this star, the, the starry host coming with his breath, it's coming through Jesus, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him, Jesus, and all things were created for him, Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 17. He is before all things. Before all things happen, he is the eternal one who was there at the beginning he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not only is God's power seen in creation, but it's seen in Christ who holds it all together, who sustains it all. There's a theological belief system called deism. And deism basically says that God created the world and then left it to us to figure it all out. It's kind of like this fidget spinner that God created and set it into motion and then steps back and says, you guys take it from here. Now the problem with that idea is that eventually... Eventually, this is going to slow down as it's slowing down, and eventually, it's going to stop. God did not just spin all of this. He continues to keep it going. He is a God who is intricately involved in every aspect of this world. He's the one who holds it all together. God not only has power to create, but he has power to sustain, to hold everything together. Pastor Louis Giglio says it this way as he brings about this illustration of something called laminin. Laminin is 
the large cell adhesive glycoprotein, I'm sure all of you know what all, the, the, all that is, the large cell adhesive glycoprotein that is found in all cell matter that holds cell matter together. If laminin was not present, our bodies would just kind of fall apart. It's the glue that holds all of creation together. It's interesting that laminin is in this form. What does that kind of resemble to you? A cross. The molecular, the, the structure of this, of this glycoprotein, whatever it is, you can tell I'm not a biologist, right? Is in the form of a cross. Now, that might just be coincidence, but I don't think it's coincidence. I, I think God, knowing that we as humans like to discover stuff and we're co-creators with him and doing all these things, eventually some scientist is going to figure this thing about laminin up and this cell adhesion kind of thing, and they're going to figure out what laminin is. They're going to look at it, and if they're a Christian, they're going to look at this and go, wait a second, that kind of looks like a cross and it kind of makes me think of Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 that in Christ everything is held together our God in his power does not just create but he sustains and he holds it all together scripture tells us Thirdly, that God's power accomplishes his purposes. That God's power accomplishes his purposes. So if you turn to Isaiah chapter 14, if you find the book of Psalm about halfway through the Old Testament, and then make your way towards the back, you'll come to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. This is in a time when God is prophesying to his people Judah that there is going to be trouble that is coming because of their sin. He's prophesied to Israel as well, the northern nation, that the Assyrians are going to come. And the Assyrians are going to bring God's judgment, God's discipline upon the northern kingdom of Israel to be able to bring them to a place of repentance. And so if we begin in Isaiah 14, verse 24, it says, The Lord Almighty has sworn. Notice, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Omnipotent, the Lord All-Powerful. Surely... As I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will stand. I will crush the Assyrian in my land. On my mountains, I will trample him down. His yoke will be taken from my people and his burden removed from their shoulders. There's going to be a time, Isaiah prophesies, when God will lift the yoke and the burden off of Israel and would punish the Assyrians. That is. Verse 26, this is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all nations. For the Lord Almighty, the Lord Omnipotent, has purposed, and who can thwart it? Who can stop it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? The Lord says that what he purposes cannot be thwarted, cannot be stopped. His power will not allow his purposes to be stopped. He is all-powerful, and what he purposes will be accomplished. Because the all-powerful one has no one that can rival him. As Leah said, and she prayed, that even though there is power in this world from the enemy that can also cause issues and can also turn a staff into a snake the power of God is greater the power of God devours the power of God cannot be rivaled it cannot be equaled the purposes of God will always be accomplished 
his purposes cannot be stopped. It is why we hold on to the power of God because his power accomplishes his purposes. Well, this is where experience comes in. This is where our world and our circumstances come in and make us have to stop and go, is this true? Because it will make us in our world and our circumstances and our lives will make us stop and ask the question, if God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he stop evil things from happening in the world? Why doesn't he stop the horrific act in Uvalde, Texas, when 19 children and two teachers were shot and killed. Why doesn't he stop? Two weeks ago, when a young man comes into a grocery store in Buffalo and kills 10 people. Why doesn't he stop? the hurricanes that come and destroy? Why doesn't he stop the wildfires? Why doesn't he stop all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the sickness and all of the disease? Why doesn't he stop it? If he is all-powerful and his purposes will be accomplished, why doesn't he stop it? And these are hard questions. Questions that I'm sure Israel was asking. Questions that I'm sure the, the, uh, that Judah was asking as Assyrian Babylon came and carried them off into captivity. Questions that I don't fully know the answer to. But I do know this. I do know that scripture says that God's power will end evil. I do know that God's power will end evil. How do I know that? I know the end of the story. Revelation chapter 19, the last chapter, or the last book of the Bible. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21, says this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, and this rider is none other than Jesus. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God, reminiscent of John's, of John's um, gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, as Psalm 2.9 says. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, God Omnipotent. On his robe and on his thigh he has written his, this name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against the rider on the horse and his army, but the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider of the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Intense language of an intense event, but it tells us that God, the one whose purposes will always be accomplished, will end evil. He is patient. He is working out his redemptive uh, purposes in this world, and so he is He knows what he's doing even in the midst of a world that is broken and evil that is breaking out. He knows. He knows what he is doing One day he will make it all end. He will completely 
destroy evil. And he will destroy its sources, Satan and sin and death. He will. It will come to pass. There will be a day where his power will put an end to war, like between Russia and Ukraine. There is a day that he will come and he will put an end to gun violence. There is a day that he will put an end to natural disasters and cancer and conflict and death. There is a day that he will come and his purposes will be finally accomplished fully. He will put an end to this and he will not be stopped. And these truths from the word of God give us great hope in the midst of a world that is crazy. A world where it feels like evil is unrestrained at times. It gives us great hope to endure and to live with perseverance. But it's not just a future thing because here's what can happen. We can look at it and know, okay, God's going to do this one day. God's going to do this one day. And it gives us hope and it gives us perseverance, but it still leaves us with the question, well, what about today? What do we do with this today? What do we do with it in my life today, in my circumstances, in my community, in my country? What do we do in the midst of all of this going on? What do we do? Because it's not just a future thing. It's, it's not just that, that God spun and now we're just waiting for it to all just come crashing down. Now one day he'll be back, and one day he'll stop evil, and one day his power and is going to put an end to all of this, and human history will finally come today or come to an end and come to rest, and all of this will be over one day. Yes, but what about today? God is present today, and God is with us today, and God cares for us today. And we see this, and this is where we want to come to a conclusion this morning. We see this as the scriptures say that God's power is exerted in the resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, and who through the spirit of holiness, this is speaking of Jesus, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The power of the resurrection gives us hope today. One final scripture, there'll be a couple still on the screen, but one final scripture for you to turn to, and that is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. We see the power of God at work exerting itself in the resurrection of Christ. Because here's the thing. God is not a God who is almighty and is far off and doesn't care until he comes back to make it right. He's demonstrated that he does care because he sends Jesus to step into the mess and into the evil and into the brokenness of the world to go to the cross to die to pay the price for our sin to bring victory over sin over death and over the devil to do this work that he will complete when he comes back he is not a god who says i hope you guys can figure it out i i i hope i hope the thing you can endure till it stops I hope. No, he has sent his son down to be the source and the solution. And the cross shows us that God cares and shows us that victory is on its way and allows victory to come and allows the power of God to come and it is demonstrated fully by the resurrection. Here's what Paul says, Ephesians chapter one, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope 
to which, you has, to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now catch verse 19. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Then he tells us what this power is like. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for you and for me, for us, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. What's Paul saying? He's saying this. When Jesus went to the cross and when the sin of the world was laid on him and the wrath of God was poured out upon the sin of the world and he was laid in the tomb, that physical body that was there for three days, his spirit descended into hell. And so when the power of God came upon Jesus, having paid the price of sin and death, having come against the power of the enemy, when God raised him from the dead, he just didn't breathe life into Jesus' physical body. No, he exerted this power by raising him out of the depths of hell. (laughs) Think about that. The enemy thinking he had won, holding, as Jesus is preaching to the prisoners, the power of God comes and not only breathes life into the physical body of Jesus, but comes and yanks him out of hell. To say to Satan and to say to all the demonic forces, you thought you had them, but my power is stronger than the power of sin. My power is stronger than the power of death. And my power is stronger than the power of hell, of the the depths of evil. My power, you can't have him because my power is greater. You may think your power is greater, but my power, God says, is greater. And so he raises him Not just physically from the dead, but he brings him spiritually back. And then he seats him at the right hand of the Father in heaven, which, Paul says, is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in this age and in the age to come. There is nothing that Jesus does not have power, nothing that Jesus does not have authority over. And then to make sure that we understand that it's not just, yay, Jesus, you go, Jesus, and we'll wait for you to come back one day. He says that he did all of this for the sake of who? Did you catch who? For the sake of the church. Who's the church? We're the church. He did all of this for the sake of his people, the church. And if you read into chapter 2, As he saves us, he seats us spiritually with Christ at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. And if all rule and power and authority and dominion are under Jesus' feet, in Christ all rule and power and authority and dominion is under the church's feet. It's under our feet. The power of God for his people. So we live in this broken world, but we are not a powerless people who say, we we'll just have to wait till Jesus comes back. We are a people who can live today in the power of God. And a people today who could say, Lord Jesus, we welcome your power to be displayed in our lives, in our families, in our circumstances, in our church, in our community, in our country, and in our world. We want your power to come. And make no no mistake about it, we have a role in that. We have a role in that. So we see this, God's power exerted in the resurrection for many things, but I want to highlight three this morning. For three things. 
for salvation. We see the power of God exerted in the resurrection for salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Say it with me. Because it is what? Okay, so let's read that like we believe it, okay? (laughs) All right, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, our belief. From first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm not ashamed because this is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who would believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Which says this, there is more than enough, sal- there is more than enough power for your salvation. Sometimes you may wonder, sometimes you may be listening and you're wondering, I don't know if I'm savable. I don't know if God has enough power for me. I, I'll talk to people sometimes and they'll say, oh, I'd never come to church. Because if I come to church, the whole thing's going to cave in. Have, have you heard that? I, I don't know. I, there's funny things that people tell pastors all the time when they find out you're a pastor. Or, you know, and that's one of them. Oh, oh yeah, that. If I came to church, the whole thing would collapse on me. What are they saying? They're saying, there's not enough power to save me. Maybe church people, but not me. I want you to know, if you're listening today, and that is anywhere on your radar, that there's not enough power, there's not enough love, there's not enough grace, there's not enough mercy to save me. No, there is more than enough power. Because The power, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And if you've been sharing or you've been praying for someone else and you're beginning to wonder, are they unsavable? Come back to the power of God in the gospel. Because there is no one who is outside of the power of God, the possibility of the power of God saving them. And I know sometimes you're praying for somebody, you're sharing with somebody, and it just seems like it's going nowhere, and you're wondering, God, I don't think this is ever going to happen. And it may cause you to to stop praying or to to slow down on your prayers and not be as as regular or passionate or zealous for their salvation, it may cause you to be like, oh, what's the use in even sharing with them anymore? Don't give up the power of God for the salvation of those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Revisit that. Hold tight to the power of God. He's, he's shown it. He's exerted it in the resurrection, and it's in the gospel, the power of, the, the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Second, power of God Exerted in, in the resurrection for salvation. Secondly, for transformation. If you're in Ephesians, or I'm going to put this up, sorry. Romans chapter 8. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. So this is, when you come to Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. So you're controlled not by the flesh or the sinful nature, depending on your translation, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if you've received Jesus as your Savior, the Spirit of God lives in you. Just establish that. But if Christ is in you by the Spirit, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So there is this future reality of life that will come because of the spirit of God. When Jesus comes back, those who are dead in Christ will be raised and there will be life in these mortal bodies. 
But, but there's an application in this because he's talking about the sinful nature and he's talking about life by the flesh and life by the spirit. There are those things in our mortal bodies, in our flesh, the sinful practices, the sinful habits, those things that we say, I will never get out of this. I will always continue down this pattern of behavior. There's no hope for me. Here's what Paul is saying. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And so there is no sin as we surrender to the work of the Spirit in our lives that he cannot put to death and bring life, spiritual life and physical life into us. Is that good news? Because sometimes we just step back and we go, oh, I'm just a slave sinning. This thing is always going to be a part of my life. No. The Spirit of God bringing power and bringing life to our mortal bodies, to this flesh, there is power to overcome sin. We do not have to be enslaved to it. We do not have to roll over and say, this is just how it's going to be. There is power. Power for victory. Power to live more and more like Jesus. Not your power, the Almighty, by the power of the Spirit, because the same power that raised Christ in the dead, or raised Christ from the dead, lives in you. And as the Spirit of God, and this is where our faith has to come in, as we say, yes, Holy Spirit, I choose you. I choose you to come. I choose to bring the junk of my life out of the darkness and into the light, and I repent and I let you, Holy Spirit, come and by your power remove those things more and more. He is able and he will do it. As the Spirit's work and the Spirit's presence in us increases, there's this amazing thing that happens. Sin and its power decreases. It's this divine transfer. It's this divine transfer. God's power exerted in the resurrection for salvation, for transformation, and lastly, for healing. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. There's this amazing account of this man who was a paralytic, and Jesus heals his body, but also forgives his sin because all the Pharisees who were there were watching this. And they were all kind of skeptical and they were critical, you know, and they were after Jesus. And, and he wanted them to know which, one, which one's easier. Is it easier just to heal a body or is it easier to forgive sin? And so he just does both. He forgives the man his sin and then he says, pick up your mat and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has power and the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin and to heal bodies. But before that, there is this phrase. Once as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And don't miss this. And the power of the Lord was present power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Sometimes we think Jesus just walked along and he just kind of did whatever he wanted to do because he was God. Jesus lived as you and I live, human, fully human. And the way that he healed and the way that he delivered was because he was living in perfect dependence on his father and because he was living in perfect dependence upon the spirit he was fully god but he didn't live out of his godness he lived out of his humanity, dependent on the fathers, why he said, I only say what I hear the father say, and I only do what I hear, or only do what I see the father doing, and why at his baptism he was filled with the spirit, the spirit came down, because he lived the perfect human life 
though fully God. And so there, pay attention to phrases like that. And the power of the Lord was present, which means there were times when what? <laughs> Just think about that. Why does Luke say, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal? Was the power of the Lord always present for him to heal? I don't think so. Which means this, we have to be aware of what God is doing. And it means this, if we have a low view of God, we may not see much of the power of God. The higher our view, the greater our faith will bring places of release of the power of God. So that resurrection power touches not just our spiritual lives, but our physical bodies also, as God's power heals physical, as God's power heals emotional, as God's power heals mental sickness, and as God delivers the captive. The power of God, present, present for salvation, for transformation, for healing. It's all there. The question is, do we believe? And so as I've prepared for this message, I believe that the Lord's question for us is simply this. If he is the omnipotent God, shouldn't we be seeing more displays of his power? Now, obviously we're living in a, in a time when the kingdom has come, but it's not fully come, so there are gonna be times when, when, when bad things happen in this world, and we don't understand all of it. But let me ask you this, when was the last time you saw the power of God unleashed in your life? When was the last time you saw the power of God unleashed in the lives of people around you? When was the last time you saw God do something and you're like, that is nothing of this world. That is God and that is God alone and that is his power breaking through. When was the last time? When was the last time in the midst of our, our gatherings that we have seen the power of God be poured out? It's a convicting question. It's a question that makes me go, Lord, what? if you're the omnipotent one, if we really believe that you are the almighty God, if we really believe that your power has been exerted in the resurrection and there's power for salvation, there's power for transformation, there's power for healing, when was the last time we've seen lives saved? When was the last time we saw someone say, Lord, I was held captive by this sin, this sin had me, and praise the Lord, I'm free. His power was poured out, and I am delivered of that sin. When was the last time there was a physical body? When was the last time there was, a, there was an emotional need? When was the last time there was mental struggle? When was the last time there was someone afflicted with the demonic that said, I am free now, I am healed, I am delivered, because the power of God broke through? When was the last time? God, God's going to do what he's going to do on his timing, for sure. But where is our expectation? Do we believe that God is able to do any and all of that at any measure, at any time, because he is the almighty, omnipotent God? Do we believe it? Then, friends, I think we need to lean in more and more and say, God, would you lift our view up and would you lift our faith up? that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever begin to ask or hope or imagine. And would you even take that step today? Because I do believe sometimes we just see the circumstances of the world. We see the circumstances of our families. We see the circumstances of our lives. And we say, God, nothing's changed. I don't know, I, I know your word says you're all powerful, you're omnipotent, you're the almighty, but God, I'm not seeing it. And I, I, maybe I pulled back a little bit in my, in my going after your power to come. And 
In the Alliance, we have this phrase, and I'll close with this, expectation without agenda. The, sometimes we come with our agenda. God, this is what you gotta do, and this is how you gotta do it, and this is when you have to do it, and da, 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 da. that's our agenda. But expectation without agenda says, God, here, here's the need. I'm not gonna tell you when. I'm not gonna tell you how. I'm not gonna tell you what. I'm not gonna tell you, just gonna bring, this is where I'm at, just gonna bring it. And I'm not gonna tell you anything of how you're gonna do this or when or what. But I am gonna say this, Lord, I expect. And maybe you're today like that man who brought his disciple to Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you believe? The man who brought his son to Jesus. The disciples couldn't heal him. He says, I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. So I just want to pray for us. Pray that God would stir up greater faith for the Almighty, the Omnipotent One, to move in power in our lives, in our circumstances, in our church, in our land, in our world. And maybe you just hold that before him as well this morning. So Father in heaven, Your word says that you are the almighty, omnipotent, powerful God. And your word is true. There is nothing that is impossible or difficult for you. You are all-powerful. So this morning, Father, we simply hold our needs before you. And we say, I believe you are able to move and to work because you are the all-powerful God. Lord, even this morning, we would say, Lord, we believe, help us in our unbelief. And Father, as we trust in you, as our view of you is lifted higher and higher, as our gaze is turned to you more and more, may, may faith arise. May we see less the things of this world and see you more clearly. And as we do, We expect that your power will be released. We expect you will bring salvation to lost people. We expect that you will set us free from sinful patterns and habits. We believe and we expect that you will bring healing in all of its forms, that you will set captives free because you are the all-powerful one and you're good. So we lift our eyes to you and we ask that you would give us grace for greater expectation that your agenda might be done, your will be done here on this earth as it is in heaven. We praise you, almighty God, in Jesus' name, amen.